So this morning we're continuing our series that we started a couple weeks ago called Identity Crisis. And what we've been doing is we've been studying one of my favorite books of the Bible, which is the book of Ephesians. And the question we've been looking at is the question of identity, the question of who am I? One that all of us have asked ourselves at some point in our lives, or you may even be asking yourself right now. And what we've seen is that for the Christian, the one who surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, there is an identity that is found in Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, declares that Christians are holy, blameless children of God, who were chosen before the beginning of time, who were sealed with the Holy Spirit and guaranteed an inheritance that is to come in Christ Jesus. In chapter 2, we learn that, that both Jews and Gentiles are on the same playing field, that every person who's ever been born misses the mark of God's holy standard, which is perfection, and we can never measure up to it. And because of that, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And in that, we were walking according to the ways of the world and following the prince of the power of the air, namely Satan. And because of that, before Christ, we were by nature children of God's wrath. But God, who is rich in his mercy, because of the great love which he has for us, gave us grace, which is unmerited favor, and that we can be made in right relationship with God through our faith. An incredible truth as the Apostle Paul has set this up as he's writing to this church. And then in the end of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, which we talked about last week, the Apostle Paul is talking about the relationships between the Jew and the Gentiles and that God has broken down the hostility in those relationships. You see, what happened with Jews and Gentiles is they hated each other. And we saw last week that they had years and years of this hatred. The Jews actually believed that Gentiles were pagans who were created to fuel the fires of hell. That's what they said of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles didn't view Jews much more uh, valiantly than that. And so as we look at the text today, we're going to see the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And what he's just said in the previous chapter is that there is one new race, one new man that's not defined by nationality or no socioeconomic class. It's not defined by ethnicity or any of those things. It's defined by being in Christ, and that organism is the church. And the Apostle Paul is very excited about telling them uh, about the church, and he's about to, in our text today, pray for the church. But something happens, as you'll see within this text. He starts out to pray for the church, but he interrupts himself because there's something he has to tell them about, a profound mystery, which is God's plan for humanity. And what we're going to see within this is that God's plan deserves our ultimate devotion. So please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one somewhere around you. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, take that as a gift. We want you to have the living Word of God in your life. If you take it, though, read it. Read it from cover to cover. Read the Word of God. It will transform your life. So Ephesians chapter 3, and if you don't ha have a copy of God's Word, feel free to pull out your cell phone, put in Ephesians chapter 3. We're, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 today. And so let's go ahead and read that text together. 
For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. And it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So as the Apostle Paul is continuing his letter to the church at Ephesus, he, he's going to pray for them. And the way he starts out within this text is he introduces himself. He says, ah, he says, for this reason, I, Paul. And so we, when we see this phrase, for this reason, we need to say, okay, what reason is he talking about? Well, when we see a phrase like this, we look at the previous passage, which is 2, 11 through 22, and what he has just said is that Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ, and that dividing wall of hostility has been broken down, and now there is one new race, one new people, which is the church of Christ, which is called to preach the gospel of Jesus throughout the world. So he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, now, as we look at this text, what he's doing is he's setting up right now some of his, his authority as an apostle. And what he says here is, is interesting because he says, I, Paul, a prisoner. Now, that's interesting. When the apostle Paul is writing this letter, did you know that he was actually in prison in Rome? And at the time of this letter, he's been in prison for five years. And, and look at how he defines himself. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, that's interesting. You don't see him say, I, Paul, a prisoner of this state. I, Paul, a prisoner of Rome. No, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What this shows us with the Apostle Paul is he sees that his imprisonment is one that is not caused by the things around him, but it is caused by Jesus Christ himself. He sees the sovereignty of God even in the midst of his suffering. The control of God even in the midst of his suffering. And he sees being a prisoner of Christ as a calling that has been given to him. There are those of us here today who are suffering. There are those of, of us here today who, who struggled even to make it here this morning. But what we see with the Apostle Paul throughout the New Testament and what we see with the Apostle Paul in this text today is that he is someone who realizes that even suffering in his life is something that can glorify God. Even suffering in his life is something that can, that, that can make God known. And he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. And he knows that Jesus is not surprised by his imprisonment, but that Christ is the one who put him in prison. And then he says, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now you have to think about this phrase. For the Jew, this would have knocked their socks off to hear this. And for the Gentile, it would have put them in absolute awe. Because if you look at it, this guy who is a, a Jewish leader, the Apostle Paul used to be uh, someone who was raised in the faith of Judaism. He was actually a, a, a rabbi in Judaism. He was a leader in Judaism. And he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And what he's saying now is that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. 
For the Gentiles, this is amazing. Why would a guy who's, who's a Jewish leader want to go to prison for me, for my sake? And it's amazing because this letter written by the Apostle Paul to, to this mostly Gentile audience is showing them this is how much God's love is for you. And the Apostle Paul loves the Gentiles so much because of the change that has happened in his heart that he's willing to go to prison for them. What an incredible truth. Now you have to listen to this. The Apostle Paul was called by God to go to the nations and to go to the Gentiles. So Paul went to Macedonia. And through Macedonia, the gospel spread into Europe. And as the gospel spread into Europe, it made its way to the United States. And it's because of the Apostle Paul and his love for the Gentiles and his commitment to preach the gospel that if you know Christ here today, you know Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Take this letter as written to you. Take this letter as written to those who were far off and didn't know Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, there was one chosen people of God, and it was the Israelites. And it wasn't for any reason besides the fact that God chose them. It actually says in Exodus 19 that he did not choose the Israelites because they were a great nation, but he chose them because he chose them in love. We see the same language that's used in Ephesians chapter 1. God chose us in him before the foundations of the world. This us being all those who surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. That's great love. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we see the Apostle Paul willing to suffer on behalf of the Gentiles. And he's about to pray for this church. But something happens. He's reminded of something that just interrupts his thought. Look at the text here. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. And then 14, he continues on, says, bow by knee before the Father from whom every, heaven, every family on heaven and on earth derives its name. But what he does here is you see those dash right there? He stops his thought. He's excited about something. There's something he has to share. And it's this mystery that God has revealed to him. Now, have you ever had something occur to you that you just had to share or discovered something that you just had to share? It could be that new app on the iPhone that you found that's amazing and you have to tell everybody about. If you're a foodie, it could be that restaurant that nobody knows about that your friend told you about and you like stop people on the streets in order that they would know where to go eat. It could be a life hack or a product that you find that totally changed your life. For me, recently, I have to tell you, the product that has changed my life is the magic eraser. <laughs> so I have to tell you a little bit of background. So uh, Stacy and I, we have three kiddos, and, and three kiddos four years and under. And as you know, they write on walls all over the place. Well, I remember I heard about this thing, so I ordered it. And when I first got it, I was like, all right, let's see how this thing works. I don't believe it. So I pulled it out, and I, I took it, and I just started to scrub the wall with it. And, I, and it wasn't taking away marks. And I, I bought huge boxes of it. I'd scour until there were holes and it was disintegrating in my hand. I said, that stuff's junk. It's all advertisement from television anyway. Can't believe everything you read on the internet. But then one day, Pastor Brent came over to my house and we were hanging up pictures on the wall. And as we were hanging up pictures, we made a black scuff on the wall. I was like, well, great. There that goes. I'm gonna have to repaint the wall. 
And Brent says, have you tried magic erasers? I said, yep, sure have. Those things are junk. He's like, do you have one? He's like, yes. He's like, go get it. So I went and got it. He's like, try it. So I took it out, did like I always did, scrubbed on the wall, thinking like the, the powder would cover the wall or something. And he looked at me, he's like, dude, you gotta wet the sponge. <laughs> I said, no, I don't. Like, no, you don't wet this sponge. It'll get all over the place. Dude, read the instructions. You gotta wet the sponge. Well, I swallowed my pride. I went and wet the sponge, and I brought it over, and there goes the black mark. I spent the entire next day going to all the places in my house and wiping off the marks. I ordered a family-sized package, and I just went crazy on my home, wiping away all of these marks. And I preached the gospel of the miracle eraser, the magic eraser to everybody. If you have stains, if you have writing on your walls from your children, you don't believe it can be taken away, but the magic eraser, it can do it. <laughs> now that seems silly, but imagine something so much more profound, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mystery of God that's revealed. I think about that analogy for just a minute of the magic eraser that takes away marks that could never be taken away on their own. Think about the stain of sin in someone's life. Think about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his blood poured out that washes us whiter than snow. So Paul gets excited about this profound mystery and he's going to tell them. And what he reveals is that the Gentiles have been brought into the family of Christ through faith in Jesus. And this is incredible because it was never this way before. If you were a Gentile and you were born in the Old Testament, you were separated from the people of God and you didn't even know that he was the one and only God. Every person who was born besides the Jews were not of God and there was no way to come to him unless God revealed it to them. But it's interesting because this is called a mystery. Now this word mystery, we may, we may think of like a mystery novel or, or, or whatever else or a mystery show, but that's, that's not the word that's used in the Bible. The word that's used in the Bible actually means something that is beyond natural knowledge but has been opened to us by divine revelation through the Holy Spirit. This mystery had been present in the Old Testament. Actually, if we look back to Genesis chapter 12, the Israelites were called to be the people of God to the generations. Look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Back in Genesis chapter 12, the Israelites were called to bless all the families of the earth. Yet they got so caught up in their own nationality and their own privilege and their own choosing before God that they were not a blessing to all the nations of the world. And the Apostle Paul says, Christ came and you guys now are going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are now one in Christ. There is no longer Jew, 
nor Gentile. There is one new people in Christ. That's an incredible truth. It's beautiful for you today if you don't feel value. It's beautiful for you today if you think that God couldn't love you. But the reality is, no matter your ethnicity or your gender or your social standing, God wants you to experience the joy of knowing Christ. He wants you to experience the peace of God. He wants you to experience the rest that is only in him and living for a purpose that you would never find on your own that God has to reveal to you, which is to glorify God's name. That is great love that he has for us. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're an unbeliever and you've never surrendered your life to him, today can be the day where you confess those sins. You, you confess them before God and, and what you do what the Bible calls repent, which means turn away from the old way of life you were living, the one you lived for yourself, the one that was all about you and, and making sure that you were the highest thing in the world and the highest priority in your life. Instead, it's turning away and realizing that he is Lord and he is King and there's this amazing life that is found in him that, that is unsearchable and, and, and you cannot put a value on it. If you're a believer in Jesus, remember and realize that God has revealed these truths to you. So first, God has chosen to reveal these truths to us. Second, God proclaims his plan through his church. So God reveals to the Apostle Paul, who's a minister of the gospel, that, that neither Jew nor Gentile are, are, are ethnicities or nations anymore, but they are one in Christ. And then he does not just stop at Paul. He actually gives the church the responsibility to spread this message. Look at Ephesians 3, 7. Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that has been realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Isn't that incredible? We can give a shout of praise to the Lord. It's okay. It's okay to be excited about what God has done. It's amazing when we can stand before our Lord and read truths that, that cause within us exuberance, the same exuberance, or I would hope, greater exuberance than if the Lions were to win the Super Bowl. I mean, do we get excited about the word and the mysteries of Christ as much so if I were to look down time, which I can't, but I'd look down time and say, the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl in three years. That's exciting. That's exciting. But how much more do we have the very keys 
to eternity in our hands that we can preach the word of Jesus Christ, a good news that many people don't know. Those who claim to be religious nuns, which means they have no affiliation whatsoever, is 50% in the area that we live in. We have a great call as the church of God to preach the gospel of Jesus to those who may have never heard the word before. There are those who are walking around the streets who may have never opened a Bible before. We are at a level of, of Bible illiteracy that, that has never been seen before. Yet we're called to bring this into our neighborhoods and our networks and preach the gospel because we hold something that can change people's lives. Uh, comedian uh, Penn from Penn and Teller actually said this, and just so you know, Penn is not a Christian. He said this of Christians. He said, if I believed what the word of God said regarding my eternal destiny, and I believed in the way that Christians do, if I did not tell somebody about that truth, it would be like seeing someone standing in the center of the road, seeing a semi-truck that was headed straight for them and not telling them to get out of the way. And that's the way a very pagan individual views the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, then God has chosen to make the manifold wisdom of himself known within the church. This word manifold means multicolored. It's this idea of a, a fabric that has many different colors within it. Just this incredible uh, wisdom of our God. We're called to make that known. And this eternal purpose that is realized within Christ. And the Apostle Paul says that the riches of it are unsearchable. We see Jesus tell a parable of a man who, who found out there was a, a treasure in a field. Greater value than he could ever imagine. And what he did is he, he saw that treasure as so valuable that he literally went into his life, got everything that he owned, and he eBayed them. Now, he didn't actually eBay them, but he sold everything he had. He took that money, and he went and bought that field. Why did he buy it? Because of the treasure that was in the field. Do we realize the unsearchable riches that are in the Word of God? Do we realize how it can change our own lives and also others' lives? And continuing to know God more and more will continue to transform us, as many of you can testify to, that the Word of God is living and active, and it says stuff to our real lives, and it really changes us. It's a beautiful privilege that we have in Christ and to be unified in Christ. To be those who do not look at each other differently because of ethnicity or because of socioeconomic background or because of whatever else we can think of, but that we will realize that those who've surrendered their lives to Christ are in Christ. And that we would see them and link arms as brothers and sisters united around the word of God. Now, 
The reality is that there are those who claim the name Christian and there are those who even stand in pulpits who do not preach the word of God, yet they call themselves a Christian and call themselves a church. We have to be aware of those things. We do go for unity 100%, yet we can never sacrifice truth in order to accomplish unity. And that's something that we see in some churches today sacrificing truth in order to accomplish unity. But we are called as brothers and sisters in Christ if we know Christ to be unified and not allow these outward things to separate us, to see each other as brothers and sisters. And what this does is it makes God's name famous. Look at what the text says. It says, what this is doing is it, it is making the wisdom of God known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now that's interesting. So we look throughout the scripture and we see that, that God gave his uh, blessing to the people of Israel that his name would be made known among all the nations. That all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. And that people would know the glory of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That they would see that there is something more than just this life we live. And his name would be made famous on this earth. But we see something different talked about in this text. He actually says that through the church, which is those who know Christ, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now we got to wrap our minds around that for just a second because it's really hard to think outside of, of our earthly context. But we look at the scripture and we see that there, there are dominions and there are rulers outside of this earth, that there are angels and there are demonic powers. And what is going on here is angels don't know this mystery. It says in 1 Peter that they, that they stoop to look at what's going on in the earth. And what happens when, when a, a sinner turns into a saint and transforms their lives and lives for the glory of God, uh, God gets fame not only on the earth, but also in the heavenly realms. That what is going on in your life is actually preaching the greatness of God to angels to the rulers and the authorities. It's something that's hard to grasp in our minds, but we see it says it in the text. The church is God's special organism on this earth. Ephesians actually says that the church is the very fullness of Christ on earth. That's powerful. The church is the body of Christ and the church is the bride of Christ. Think about that. Think about that beautiful privilege of being the very bride of Jesus Christ. And he looks at us the same way that the most perfect husband, who has no sin in his life, looked at his bride on their wedding day when she came through those doors and walked down the aisle. Or the same way that that couple's been married for 60 years who deeply love each other. And there's a love there deeper and greater than we could ever imagine. That's how God views us. That's how God views his church. 
a unified body in Christ. And we're called to preach the gospel so that others could be included in the church, so that others would know Christ as their Lord. One of the reasons why we do life groups is so that we can minister to our neighborhoods. If you're the only Christian in your neighborhood, if you're not someone who's building relationships and telling people good news, who else is going to do it? And if there are other Christians in our neighborhoods, if we're the ones who are baking cookies and inviting our neighbors over and talking to them, uh, then I hope it inspires other Christians to be able to do the same as well. We have the good news that death is not the end. But there's an eternity to come that we can only imagine that it's with Jesus Christ with his unsearchable riches. And we have a glory that is given to us from God. Look at Ephesians 3.13. The Apostle Paul at the end of this, this, uh, this going away from what he was originally going to say, he closes it out by saying this. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. God invites you to experience this glory. Colossians actually says that if you have been raised with Christ, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in his glory. That's crazy. The glory of one who shines brighter than the sun. It says in Revelation that we don't need a sun anymore because the glory of God is the sun. These concepts are so hard to grasp within our flesh. They're so hard to truly understand, but they're, they're godly, divine thoughts. And we're not going to understand all the nuances of them right now, but we can look at them and say, that's what God's word says. We have something that's coming that is, I can't even describe it or imagine it. And to look to that and to live our lives for that, to not live for the hundred or so years that we have on earth but to live for the billions of years that we have in eternity. To change our focus, to re realize that we're called by God to something great, to not experience our glory on this earth. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we experiencing our glory in? Parents, are you experiencing your glory and satisfaction in the fact that your kid is the best soccer player on the soccer field? or the best football player on the team? Businessmen, are we, are, are we finding our glory and satisfaction in the fact that our company got its new highest, its new highest revenue this year? Students, are we finding our glory in the fact that we have so many followers on Instagram or so many likes on Facebook or the fact that we have the highest GPA is that our identity? Now, none of these things are wrong to pursue at all. God wants us to be excellent in the things that we do. God wants us to be excellent in the way we perform in, in sports and the, the way that we perform in our careers and the way that we perform in school and to want to impact people. But the reality is, if that's number one, then we're missing it. If that's number one, we need to reorient our priorities and what we're finding our glory in. 
And we do that by saying, God, I want to find my everything in you. And we say, Lord Jesus, I, I know that soccer games are on Sunday during church, but God, I'm going to make a commitment and I'm going to be part of church instead. Lord Jesus, I, I know that my work pulls me away 90 hours a week and I'm not with my family like I should and I know the desire that you have for me to raise my children in Christ. God, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things and move things around to make sure I spend that time with my kids and I raise them in the Lord. God, I know I'm not a man who's praying in my home. I'm going to be a man who prays in my home. These are the things that we need to ask ourselves. And if you're doing them now, Press on, continue, praise God. Many of you are making sacrifices every single day of your life in order to worship God. Way to go, brother or sister. Keep pressing on and encourage others to do the same because you will be rewarded. Do not give up for you will be rewarded because there is an eternity to come that we're told to store for ourselves treasures in heaven where nothing can destroy it, for where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So may we live our lives fully devoted into everything we are to the plan of our God. And may we always live for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word and for the truth of your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've revealed this truth to us out of all generations. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given the church the responsibility and the privilege to be ministers of the gospel as Paul was. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are invited to experience the very glory of God. May we realize the value of that. May we proclaim your gospel in our neighborhoods and our networks. May we tell people in our workplace about you. May we be those who pray over the people in, in our lives that are in suffering and pain. Lord, I, I do pray, Lord Jesus, that we would continue to realize that even the sufferings that we are going through right now, which are very real and very painful and don't have explanations sometimes, are nothing compared to the weight of glory that is to be revealed. So, Lord, I pray each and every day of our lives that we would step back and become less and that you would become more. And our prayer each day would be make us more like Jesus. We praise you in Christ's name.